Greetings, race community. Brent coming in live from the home office in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and I am thrilled to host a fellow New Englander on today's show. Though he has been out of the region for some time, uh, I want to welcome Brian O'Rourke, who's the Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations at Clemson University. Welcome, Brian. It's good to be here. And um, I just got to let you know, it was just two weeks ago, I was up in uh, Newport, Rhode Island for a family wedding and had an absolute ball. So it was good to get my Yankee roots back, uh, back moving forward again. It is hard to beat a wedding in Newport. That is for sure. I was just over there for a friend's uh, birthday party a couple of weeks ago, and we've had a spectacular late fall uh, or sort of early fall, late summer uh, weather and uh, it's just good to be here. So I got to ask you, um, like most kids growing up in Massachusetts, you decided to go to Clemson University for undergraduate. Okay. Uh, who were you in high school? What was that guy into? And what led you to Clemson, Brian? Um, when I was high school, I was the, the manager of the football team, the basketball team, the baseball team, the athletic abilities were with all my siblings um and, so and I, which uh which high school was this brian i went to hanover high just up right between boston and plymouth rock and so back then uh when they recruited uh someone from my hometown to play basketball um the coach came into the locker room and i was cleaning up and he said listen if your good friend keith comes to clemson why don't you come with him you can be the manager and we'll give you a scholarship and you can travel with the team well, I went home that night and told my mom and dad about it. My dad said, say that word again. I said, scholarship. He said, you're going. Because I was like the third third in a row to, uh, to, to go to college. And my mother said, you're not going south to go to college. Well, conversations moved forward. Uh, they recruited uh, my good friend, Keith. I went down as a package deal, arrived at Clemson in August of, of 78, sight unseen, never stepped on campus. And um, my career started as a student, graduate student at Clemson. And now I've, uh, you know, I've had some stops along the way, but I've been back about 16 years running the, uh, running the alumni and development program. So great story. So never, never been on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, you show up and uh, walk me through the first week. There's not a lot of kids from the South shore, uh, going to, uh, going to Clemson that year would be my guess. Maybe I'm wrong, no. but you know, tell me what it was like to, to be, to be the Yankee, uh, uh, in that, uh, incoming class. Um, that year, there were two of us from the state of Massachusetts, my friend, they recruited myself. And then there was a young lady from Maine. That was it. Um, for example, this past year at Clemson, we have 103 freshmen from the state of Massachusetts. So the brand wow. expanded. Um, so, you know, I went in there and it was a true culture change. Uh, the, the weather was tough um, and I, it took me a while to adjust. Um, and I went home after a month and I actually said, I don't know if this is right for me. And my dad said, you know, finish the semester. And if not, you can come home. My whole family was Holy Cross, Boston College. You know, you come back, go to school here. Uh, and then October 15th, the day I'll never forget. That's when basketball season officially started. And from that day on, I never looked back um, because it was the Clemson basketball family and the extended Clemson family that took you in and had you for holidays or had you over for weekends. And that's when the DNA of Clemson or the culture of Clemson just took me in. So after October 15th of 78, I didn't look back and I knew it was at the right place. 
Love that. And so when you think about the uh, student experience, I mean, you sort of had the student athlete experience, uh, even though you weren't playing directly. I mean, being a manager is probably the one spot on the team that's more time intensive than being a player at times. And so I'd love to just know some of the uh, highlights, lowlights, just uh, memorable experiences during those four years. Yeah, we were always there before the team was to get the locker rooms ready, help uh, tape the ankles, get them ready. And then after the practice, they were done. We had to clean up and get ready for the next day. So a lot of hours. Uh, the one thing it did for me is during basketball season, I was much more structured and disciplined. I actually had better grades during that time. Um, at that time, unfortunately, some of our seasons were a little bit shorter than we liked. You know, we went to the NCAA, uh, the ACC tournament, and we didn't do very well in those many of the years. So, you know, we always were home by spring break, but uh, no, the structure of basketball season helped make me a better student. Um, and then just the networking opportunities it gave me to meet uh, supporters of the basketball team. You know, you'd meet with the alumni board members and board of trustees. It just gave me fabulous exposure uh, to some very special people and life lifelong friends. Um, and so not just with the basketball team, but people outside of the team as well. So uh, a lot of hours. You mentioned it, and I read in advance that you are a recipient of a scholarship. I believe specifically it's called IPTE. Is that, is mm -hmm. that right? And, um, and so sometimes I ask folks uh, who are in advancement leadership positions, when did you really understand that there was a business of advancement, that fundraising was a career path? And in your case, you were a beneficiary out of the gates, the package deal, the scholarship. Um, did you understand what that meant at the time, Brian? Or, you know, when along the journey did it did it start to click that, hey, the, the financial support of all of these, you know, amazing people, these fans that I'm getting to meet is why I'm here right now? Yeah. I would say it was probably my sophomore year. Um, we used to have an IPTE Invitational Tournament, and I remember having dinner with the president of the IPTE, a legend guy by the name of Charlie Bussey at that time, and he told me how it worked, that, you know, we, IPTE, which is the oldest athletic fundraising organization in the country, it used to stand for I, pen, I pay 10 a year, then I pay 20, then I pay 30, now it's just IPTE, I'll be honest, it's a little bit more now, if you want good parking, etc., but he shared with me that the membership is the ones who provide the scholarships for us, and allowed that to do, so is it a young age uh, that, I, that I learned that others gave me the opportunity to have. And it truly helps me share my story because I was a beneficiary and I left college, you know, without any uh, academic debt at all. Love that. And so uh, you obviously were immersed with basketball and I know other activities during college. Uh, what was your immediate path and when did you think about the the career path that that uh, could be uh, what it is here in advancement. When I graduated graduate school, right out of undergraduate school, it's like I wasn't ready to leave. So good friends, it said go to graduate school, and I worked in the housing world, and I thought I wanted to go down the path of student affairs. And um, so after I graduated, I said, can I go down the path of student affairs? Then I had a friend who I graduated with said, come back, you know, let's get out in the get, time to get in the real world and have a good job and be a salesman. So I had a chance to go into the sales. And then the Alumni Association posted this job. And I said, I'm going to go for it. 
And um, they hired two of us. They hired this lovely young lady from Greenville, South Carolina, Bonnie, who's still one of my best friends. And they said, we're going to take a chance on this Yankee. And when I remember when I got hired, some guy came up and said, you know, our alumni base must be changing if we're putting an alumni from Massachusetts on our alumni staff. And so I interviewed there and uh, that's where the career kicked off as an alumni relations um, I worked with all the Clemson clubs, structuring our current, very similar to the current Clemson club structure we have today. I worked with the Student Alumni Council, which was one of the best joys I had. And you look back where some of those kids are today, and, and you were their advisor, you know, president of the Texan Houston's or, you know, serves as VP for John Hancock. Great, successful people who are now alumni getting involved in Clemson, servicing on, service, serving on boards and being donors back to the university. So it's been so rewarding to be part of those young kids' lives and now they're volunteer leaders at the university. So for us, our past to cross again has been really exciting and rewarding. You must occasionally run into people where it's been, you know, 20, 30 years and uh, you reconnect. That's got to be really rewarding. I mean, Saturday at our football game, I'm driving my golf cart around and I saw one of the former students from that time. And I said, Tom, oh, my God, I haven't seen you in years. And he just rattled off some of the stories and some of the programming we did when he was in the Student Alumni Council. It's like we hadn't missed a beat. He said, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire. I'm building a house in the lake. So we've got to connect here soon again. And I said, I know you're about to retire and you need to get back active in Clemson. But yeah, it's always those stories and connecting. And now it's the next generation. These kids' kids are coming to Clemson. And so during the admissions process, they're calling and we're reconnecting back then. So I never thought I'd be around long enough to see kids who I was their advisors, kids be coming to, uh, to Clemson now. So tell me about the path. I know you started in the mid 80s in that alumni relations role. Um, have you been at Clemson the whole time? Were there twists and turns along the way? Uh, honestly, um, after five years in the alumni world, uh, loved it. But something told me I needed to grow up and grow and leave. And when I told my dad that, he said, um, I think it's about time. I think you're at the point you can actually pay your own airfare to come home and visit for Thanksgiving. And so now it was time for me to grow. And so I went into healthcare fundraising uh, for a Catholic health system that was based in Greenville, South Carolina, but it was a national health healthcare system called the Franciscan Sisters of the Poor. And uh, I had a chance to interview there and I was going from the alumni side to the development side. So they were taking a risk on me. And I think that's what really set me um, to be goal-oriented, focused, and driven is they've never had a foundation or a real strong fundraising program. And they're saying, you need to lead it, you need to build it. And that was a great, a great 11 years for me personally, where I met my wife. She was the head nurse in the OR. Again, lifelong friends, traveled missions programs around the, around the world. So for me, it was great for me to leave Clemson and grow and uh, go to my own. Like I did when I first went to Clemson, I knew no one there. Then I got healthcare fundraising and I had to build it again. And so great opportunity for me to do that. Uh, then after 11 years of raising money for the, uh, the health system, I went into fundraising consulting, time for something new, went with a great company. It's called Corporate Development. Uh, Brian, so before we dive into that, I am just curious, when you, when you start, you're, you're the manager of the basketball team, you're all in on Clemson, you uh, are now working in that alumni context, you know, the lingo, you know, the culture, you know, the people, even if you still got a little bit of the Massachusetts accent, you're in at this mm -hmm. point. 
Right. And then you transition to a healthcare environment where you don't know anybody. Um, the mission is different. The affinity, if you will, is very different. I'm just curious for those of us who haven't had much exposure in the healthcare fundraising world, when you think about what's similar and different compared to the strong alma mater affinity and the process that you all have at, at Clemson, um, what would you highlight as just being some of the similarities and differences? I think it was key. It was the mission of the organization at the time. It was, we still had nuns walking around the halls. And so I believe in the mission of Clemson University and everything it did. While I was at St. Francis, St. Francis had my heart. It had my commitment because I knew what, the, what, what these nuns and this health system was doing for our community truly made a difference. So that, that, was, that was key for me. And the other, it's about leadership, right? I had great leaders uh, in, in administration there at the hospital, great board members that wanted to see this fundraising program or this development program grow for St. Francis. So I, I had great people around me who were committed to seeing this organization go to the next level. Uh, so those, those things that uh, that uh, moved me. And again, it was a professional challenge to say, what can I do next? So, um, so it was best move uh, for me career-wise and best move for me personally. Thank you for sharing. And so 11 years, really good run in a sector with a fair amount of turnover. Uh, you mm -hmm. decide to go try something new. Tell me more about the consulting experience when you started, what you were focused on and some of the highlights and lessons learned. Well, at St. Francis, we just finished our first capital campaign ever. And I think we, uh, we raised $3.1 million. And back then, that was a lot of money for community hospitals. So we're great, very successful. And um, I think I got to the point there to say, what's next for me professionally to grow? What's my next challenge? So the firm that we used uh, to help us with our campaign, again, corporate development located in Charleston, South Carolina. And she always said, hey, if you're ever ready to get into this world, let me know. And it took about a year and a half. And I said, I think I'm ready for it. And so I got to corporate development with June Bradham, the CEO. It was her and one or two others. And we said, let's try growing this. And so that was one of the key things I, I took on was help grow the company where when I first got there, we we're basically North, South Carolina. Almost every hospital in South Carolina worked with our firm and most of the ones in North Carolina. And then we just grew and we said, let's grow this business. So next thing you know, I said, let's grow. And I was down in Florida or Virginia Beach and we just grew the company. So it was a great time of growth uh, there um, and brilliant people working together. I had a tremendous leader in June and uh, we built a great little consulting firm and I would put the work that we did up with any, any one of these bigger names that, uh, that we would go against. So we had a, it was a great run and that was about a three and a half year run, but learned a lot, really learned how to better manage volunteer leadership as you're getting into a campaign and the, and the part of managing campaigns and the, the highs and lows you go through a campaign. So it gave me great experience to get ready to come back to Clemson. It's been some time, but let's say that I'm the head of development at a, at a hospital at that time that wasn't yet working with you. What was the value proposition? What were the discovery questions, uh, you, you know, the pain points or solutions that you all brought to bear that, that really filled that void? Um, mm -hmm. and, and obviously, there's great precedent for consultants to support 
um, advancement organizations in a variety of ways, but what was the specific um, area of expertise that you felt really added the most value to those clients? We developed a, a booklet, or I'll call it a tool, that we called uh, the Mint Ask, Corporate Development, and it was called the Mint Ask. And it really looked of how do you take a program to building a solid case for support, right? How do you get uh, hospital administration and community leaders to buy into that? And then really, what's the role of that campaign cabinet or that foundation board to execute that? And so we hosted conferences you know, all over that really talked about how we grew this program. So I think it was the tools that we put together to start again, build your case, and then how do we execute it? And we just follow it. So it was, we brought the science to these hospitals up, follow this path, and you'll be successful. And then we added the art to it. So it was the tool we put together called the Mint Ask. I love it. Uh, sounds right up my alley. Uh, and and uh, appreciate you sharing. So uh, tell me about after the three and a half years, what was the next stop? I was very fortunate where the vice president of advancement at Clemson at the time called me and said, will you come home? And uh, at that time, the alumni position was open. And I really thought, do I want to come back and lead the alumni association? And I really thought about it. That's where I grew up. I, I have a passion for alumni relations. And I said, you know, and I, at the time, I was currently serving as the volunteer president of the Alumni Association. So, man, I would have had to take my hat off and run it as a staff member and do that. And I said, thank you so much for that. But I think my passion and the challenge I have is more on the, you know, the development side. And so about two months later, he called back and said, my head fundraiser has retired. Funny story. He left alumni work and went back to healthcare, you know? And so now I'm going back from uh, healthcare and come back to alumni. And he said, let's brainstorm this of how we can make this work. And I said, if we could bring alumni and development closer together and not be in silos, because I'm a believer an alumni association with purposeful engagement leads to good philanthropy, good investment um, back to the institution. So we brought those two together and I oversaw both of those programs under uh, my VP of advancement. And that's when we started, you know, getting the alumni association more comfortable with having philanthropy as part of their culture um, and supporting and tying into development. We all sat around the same table together. Uh, so that was a, that was a big step. Uh, what, so, can I ask when that was, Brian? That was about, I've been here 16 years. So we're looking at about, you know, my first year was like, what did I get into? So we're talking about anywhere about 14, 14, 15 years ago, we really started to pull those two together. Which feels to me like you must have been on the early wave of what has become sort of industry best practice, uh, where there's been a, a strong trend of integration uh, strategically or structurally between alumni associations and development but that wasn't the case 15 years ago for the most part. And so it sounds like there was strong alignment in, mm -hmm. in you know, the various leaders, but I could see that being a little bit uh, contentious as well, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, the, the personalities and, and turf and, you know, history mm -hmm. and, and all of that. So tell me about um, how seamless was it? I would say it, it, it was a slower go than we thought. The one thing, one thing that we did have going for us is, Many years ago, our alumni association oversaw our annual fund. And then 
uh, prior to me, it left the Alumni Association, came more on the development side. So there were some people on the board still that understood the, uh, the, the annual fund component. So when we said, guys, we've got to come, come back together, um, I, I, I think there was just some easy buy-in, but what took time was to how do you programmatically get there? How do you get the engagement officer in the alumni association think of just having a Clemson club meeting and walking away after it's over and say it was a good event to having a purposeful event? And then how do you measure and what's the follow-up from that? Because again, professionally, I believe an alumni association is about warming the doors so, uh, so you can grow that relationship and people can get more involved and support the institution in you know, whether it's time, talents, and treasures. So, um, so it's, it's, been a, it's been a long path. And I would say the last six years, the board truly in its strategic plan is just putting the stake in the ground about the importance of philanthropy. They bought into it, but now it's part of their strategic plan, which I think is a big step. You've said purposeful engagement twice. I'd be curious to know an example of engagement that is not purposeful, but perhaps commonplace in the sector. And then an example maybe that you've seen of really effective, purposeful engagement. What doesn't work, what does? I think it's the same event. Okay, so if you're going, if you're going into a city and you want to have uh, an alumni event, and so you, you need to go in, who did we invite? We invited all alumni. And instead of just going and say, oh, we're going to, uh, let me guess, uh, we're going to Austin, Texas, right? And I'm going to bring the present to an alumni event there. Don't first off, don't make that decision in silo for an alumni event. Where's the donor event beforehand? Where's the donor event afterwards or the corporate connection that needs to be taken afterwards? So one, how are you inclusive with that event? You shouldn't have a silo event at all. So I think that's number one. And then what's the messaging? The messaging needs to be relevant to where we are in the campus, whether we're in a campaign or for promoting scholarships. It's more about, we got to say more than just being there. We need to say your participation is important. We're very proud of Clemson alumni participation. We continue number three in the country for top public. So we're proud of that. So we got to continue to charge our alumni to help keep that tradition of alumni giving going. So I think that's it in the planning aspect of it, but then the follow-up, and we're not there yet, but the follow-up is how do you, who attended, how does that help you over rate uh, folks, you know, engagement scores? Yep. How do you identify people? When I was in the alumni business 85 years ago, I sat with the alumni development director every time I came back from a trip and I said, you got to meet Brent, man. He just bought a house in Newport. He's just buying a brand new motor home. You guys got to go see him. That was informal. How do we now have these events and the yeah. here are potential people that we should talk to. So that, yeah. that's what we call a purposeful. And the current president of the alumni board is all about it, which is great. I love it. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Steve Hall, who used to lead uh, alumni relations at Boston University. He was at University of Houston previously. And we just talked about that journey, right? Let's say that a hundred people show up to homecoming and they all register online and uh, they're, they're vastly different people. Some are very high net worth thinking about estate planning. Some are uh, consistent annual fund supporters who have now elevated higher into their careers. And some are recent graduates who are, you know, just trying to pay the bills and, and get settled in their new place. And, 
what is the experience afterwards for those individuals? And I think all too common, the experience is identical. You come to the event, you all registered, you leave, and you all get the thank you email, right? Mm -hmm. Or you get the standard message that everybody got. And I think what you're just describing and what we believe strongly in is how do you start to create really data-driven post-engagement follow-up actions Mm -hmm. so that you can route the engaged constituents with a certain profile over to plan giving. You can route the next uh, folks who a set of people who, you know, have maybe never received a visit, but they've been consistent supporters over to a discovery officer. And then maybe everybody else gets more of a mass marketing one to many because you can't go personalized, you know, truly to every single individual, but it does seem like we've still got a ways to go in general. And, and, and frankly, I think that what you described you were doing early in your career of just looking at the list and, you know, coming up with a game plan is, is still not happening in a lot of cases uh, mm-hmm. t- today, in spite of all the technology and all the systems and CRM and all these things right. that have been invested in, um, that is not going to create the strategy that you just described. And, and, you know, and to be honest, we're not totally there. We know where we want to go. So yep. we have our new software system, you know, Y'all, everyone's asking for good data. Well, you got to put it in first, right? Right. You change the culture that says everyone's responsible for putting the data in. And in the old days, I remember we, we used data to, to measure the success of development, right? Today, we need to use data to help build our plan. To right. Mission effective. So data is, is a lot, lot more important than it, uh, than it used to be. And so, but from the alumni, we got to stop putting that in. And again, we're not, we're not where... We're not perfect, but at least culturally, that's where we're headed. Yep. No, it makes sense. And I think, mm-hmm. look, starting small and, and getting it really right for one event is a great place to start. And then, you know, thinking about ways to to scale it up uh, from there. And so 16 years, it's a, a long run in, in uh, kind of development leadership roles. And I think uh, mm-hmm. it's been about six or so since you've been um, in the senior most position. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about the before and after for Clemson, or even the way you've seen the advancement world evolve uh, when you talk to friends in the sector as well, um, what are some of the biggest uh, changes that you've seen in the last 15 years? Um, I think our our board of trustees, university administration, they're really looking at the return on investment right now. Um, budgets are tight everywhere. So if I'm going to invest more into our development enterprise, what's the return on investment? And I think they're asking us, are you as efficient and effective as you possibly can be? And we have to show that. Uh, So when I came to Clemson 16 years ago, we put our campaign together and we said, here's the plan we think we can get here. As my old boss and I just saying, right? Today, you got to show a lot more data. You got to show a lot more management while streamlined uh tough to make making tougher decisions now so uh, i think it's uh, i think it's the eyes are upon us because the expectation of increased philanthropy is is upon us and um so when 16 years ago we we're probably raising 74 million dollars a year last year we raised 200 million dollars last year so They've invested in us and they've seen a great return on investment. But if they want to see us go to the next level, they're going to have to see 
if I give you this, what are you going to get? What's that return going to be? And when we did that 16, 17, 16 years ago for the first initial investment, um, we didn't have to show as much. Uh, we went in and says, you know, this is the way it works. And they bought off on it, but that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And I'm curious when you, when you talk about making the case for ROI and, and investment, um, you also said you have a passion for alumni relations. And when you think about the spectrum of the advancement world, mm -hmm. where there's immediate term ROI versus lifetime level ROI, mm -hmm. you might say, well, principal gifts is, is where you put a dollar in and, and you're going to know exactly within a, a period of time, exactly how much revenue is generated. Mm -hmm. And you can really talk ROI there. On the other hand, making an investment in alumni relations, which you have a passion for and it's where you started, uh, sometimes it's hardest. It, it's hard to be able to draw that direct connection, um, which means you could over rotate and, and, and only invest in frontline staff and, and nothing else. Um, mm -hmm. But that comes at the expense of the experience and the long term health of the organization. Do trustees get that? Does leadership get that? I mean, how do you think about the balance between, um, you know, serving your broad population while also absolutely activating every philanthropic dollar possible in the top three to 5% of the giving pyramid that is realistically going to contribute a significant portion of any campaign? Great question. So up front, I'll say, I believe in investing in alumni relations and annual giving. And what we've done is we're in the planning phase. You know, we, you finish the campaign, you're in the planning phase for the next one. But one of the goals that we have that's been approved by our board and by our campaign executive committee during this planning process is that we leave Clemson University with a strong pipeline for future generations. And by that means, I think it hits everything you're talking about. We're not just saying name the colleges. We're not saying build the endowment to this number or routinely get to a certain number with our philanthropic dollars. It's about building that pipeline because I think everyone who works at Clemson at this time within our within our division believe we need to leave this better for those who are after us. And so by investing in a strong alumni relations program and a strategic annual fund program and let that go, whoever comes next should have a, a good pipeline uh, for major gifts and principal gifts when this campaign's over. So I think having that as a goal that's measurable and we hold, we're accountable to the board, I think answers uh, to, to your question why we need to invest in those, in those levels as well. Though we know the top of the pyramid is going to get us there, and we've got a lot of investment there and our major gifts, playing gifts, future gifts, we can't, we can't take our eye off uh, of the, the, the foundation of what's the, the future of, of donors and relationships. And one of the strong uh, components of broad-based engagement and affinity at Clemson is certainly athletics. It's what led mm -hmm. you there. It's not the only reason. There's a lot of other amazing uh, 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 components of the academic experience. But when you think about what has become such a strong athletics brand, where there's such strong athletics affinity, um, sometimes I've heard that can be a, a blessing and a curse because it means there's so much attention uh, in that part of the experience and the identity of the institution that commanding attention for some of the maybe less well-publicized or well-known philanthropic initiatives mm -hmm. can be a challenge. So I'm sure there, there must be examples where you're able to build off of just passion and enthusiasm and amazing game day experiences, but then pivot that 
into priority areas that the donor might not otherwise be aware of? Yeah, well, I can answer that question in, in, in quite a few ways. First off, I personally believe if you have a strong athletic program that does it right, that's big, that does it right, it's a great front porch to your institution. So, what does it mean to, to do it right? I mean, you play by the rules, you, your athletes graduate, um, you're winning. So that, that's what it means to me. So it was the Wall Street Journal that did an article that looked at universities, they did the, the grid and said, what schools are really doing this right? That top right corner. So when you saw Clemson up there with Stanford and other great schools, we're doing it right. They're student athletes. And so let's do it right. Let's uh, let's win on the field, but let's win off the field. So a commitment to the true student athlete. So I think Clemson, I'm confident Clemson does that. So that can help us. And so one, you can look at a football game when we have 80,000 people, but you also can realize we have a president's suite programmatically, how do we use that, um, in which we highlight faculty and students of the game, we highlight a college of that game. So we're talking academics in that pregame and during the game with our donors and prospects, What depending on the college, that's the programmatic that we use. And then we say, now let's watch football. And then we have hot dog at halftime, how do we carry on those conversations? So when you have a strong athletic program, um, you can use, you got to use that to strengthen uh, some of your programming for development work around that. Bowl trips, you know, our pre- we have one of the best fundraising presidents out there. And whenever we travel to away games, who's he sit with? Who does he have dinner with? And how do we support him in that way? Um, the other ex- example I've seen in my career, if somebody gets to know Clemson through athletics and makes a significant gift there, well, they're going to get closer to the president. They're going to get close to the board of trustees. They're going to get close to the provost and they get exposed to more areas of the university. And the next thing you know, you know what? I want to help that business program. Or I really like that the program you're doing um, for the low part of the state for underserved people. They hear about those. So it broadens it. So um, I, th- I think that's critical. And then third, I'll say the relationship that your university development program has with your athletic fundraising you know, if you're together, we call it one Clemson, um, where um, if you're the primary manager, whether you're, you're assigned in athletics or academics, you know, you got to respe- respect that relationship. And my team in university development will sell gifts to athletics. I don't care. I'm working with somebody yesterday in athletics. We made a call on an individual and he had the relationship. We talked about supporting engineering. So that relationship with the, the, your peers down in athletics and on the academic side, if you work together, then it can explode as well. And we're very fortunate to have that good relationship. Not always so similar. Yeah, but it sounds like similar alignment to what you've described with the alumni engagement efforts and and really athletics is uh, just another, um, you know, massive way to to generate that engagement. Uh, You mentioned- We started it all early on. You know, uh, IPTE was the best annual fundraising program. And then Central Development sat down with them and said, we got to get to the major gifts program here. And I remember right. the, the, the athletic fundraising group said, ah, don't want to hurt the golden goose. Well, when you showed them the data and the importance and the benefits of major gifts, we have one of the best athletic major gift programs around now. But we were all young. We all got in this together. So we're very fortunate that we, the alumni development and IPTA really decided to grow over the last 10 to 12 years. Love that. You mentioned uh, President Clements, who I've had the opportunity to meet, incredibly dynamic. Um, and, and I can imagine that he's a very effective fundraiser. Tell me a little bit, you've worked together for a long time, and I am sure uh, 
his calendar, any president's calendar is, uh, it's a very competitive space. And, uh, you know, how institutions and, and, and the team around presidents uh, compete for that space on the calendar, I, I can't even imagine. But um, tell me what it was like as you flipped to a more virtual experience like we're having right now, mm-hmm. um, what that meant for a president who, when you're trying to physically get him to this city or that location or this donor meeting, logistically, it's a lot of time, it's mm-hmm. money, it's challenge. When you're a Zoom link away from the president, does that help? Or, or was it maybe not as uh, high impact as, uh, you know, as, as I might expect? I'm just curious, um, wait, wait, you know, given that you'd worked together so much mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic, um, how you've been able to connect with donors uh, during and, and coming out of it here? One is, you're right, we're very fortunate to have an outstanding development president who is always ahead of my team who's always thinking what's next, what's next. Hey, we haven't been here. We haven't been there. So he doesn't stop. And he is extremely good, extremely sincere. Uh, Probably one of the best development presidents, I'll say, that's out there. Um, And he will give pre the, the pandemic, he gave us the time we needed to do that trip to Florida or to say, you've got to go and see this person. If it's strategic, he would make it happen. He also enjoys it. And he, like myself and a lot of us in this business, we get energy when we're with people. And so right. we're, we're, we're traveling somewhere exhausted. But by the time you meet up with people and it kicks in, there's nobody better. And so we did a lot of that pre. But what we did during uh, during the pandemic was we had a lot of these. I mean, he and his wife would host, you know, the little the socials, you know, at 530 during Jim and Beth just for an update. And people would sit and they just have, depending on the groups, just have conversations. How's your grandkids? We kept them in touch. And then he gave the spiel. Um, other times we'd have uh, uh donors and prospects and volunteers together to hear about our vice presidents talk about how we're managing the COVID and how we're doing tested on campus and what's ahead of us, what's scary. So uh, we, we used Zoom a lot to stay in touch with um, that base of, of, of top donors, our top leaders. We also used it brilliantly on the alumni side on engaging and having faculty members and students constantly doing uh, Facebook a couple times a week uh, for, for the broader alumni base. Um, so now we use social media uh, quite a bit, but now we're yeah. back, traveling, you know, right. We're, we're hosting football games. So we're back in the road and we're heading up to Pittsburgh in a couple of weeks and we'll go up a couple of days early and make some visits and then use the game. Um, and, you know, put p- people sitting with the president will be people that, you know, are going to be supporting the business school and engineering. So when you think about, let's say six months from now, you know, 12 mm-hmm. months from now, um, how much does the work look like it did in 2019 uh, versus uh, more of a, a blended model? You know, when you think about alumni and regions you were able to reach to be able to be a Zoom link away with the president, uh, you know, as, as much as he loves doing it, you can only be so many places at once. But at the same time, you are back on the road. People do want... Uh, you know, that that more uh, holistic in-person experience. Um, but does it kind of where does it settle out, I guess, based on what you, you see right now? I think I think the power of Zoom is always going to be with us. You know, we have we have a great alumni base in Texas, West Coast. They were on those Zooms with the president and they said, we just don't go back there. It's a it's a right. 
it's a treat for them to come back every other year. And when we were doing Zooms every three months, they were sitting on that screen. It was so good to see them. So we can't stop doing it. So that's one. And we had people attending by Zooms that normally don't come back for that dinner or come back for that. So, you know, a football game doesn't attract everybody or a basketball game. And so we're going to continue to use that as cultivation, but also um, our donor relations team has really found ways that we're going to use it for, uh, you know, for stewardship. How do we really impactful thank people? Um, So, yeah, I think the the tool of Zoom is here to, is definitely here to stay, but I'm a a people guy. And so I'm happy being on the road and traveling. Love it. Well said. Um, One of the things that I know you're very proud of is that in a sector where there's constantly um, being uh, various studies cited about turnover among development professionals, you yourself have set an example by going deep uh, with a couple of different roles throughout your career. Um, But it sounds like your team uh, has uh, tended to stick around a lot longer than normal as well. And I'd love to just know a little bit more about why that is. Is it a specific goal that you had set or just a uh, unexpected outcome of, of how things have come together? Uh, just tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, we're proud. I think the average, I'll say lifespan of a development of one shops, 2.6 years, 2.7. Well, our average is about 6.6. And we've, we've moved out two people who've been here 30 years. Um, so yeah, we are proud of that. But, but why? Um, I think we... we it's an exciting time to be at Clemson. We're selling a very good product. Um, we got great leadership and a great vision. So that's number one. Uh, so I think people are enjoying that too. Uh, we work very hard. You know, salaries are always the issues. I could make more here, make more there. But outside saying, I just want to be a fundraiser, how else can I grow in this institution? So um, both within our division, we find ways to include people to serve on committees. Do you want to help us build a mentoring program? How do you want involved, get involved without being just that fundraiser? As an institution, we have uh, leadership development programs that are uh, president's office does. The president has a program called the Presidential Leadership Institute, in which we put our rising stars in there, uh, put four in there. Three of them have been, been promoted all within the university to an associate VP in one division or have moved up to an executive director. I have two that moved up to executive directors in my division. So we believe in investing in the people. I think that's critical. Um, and so so we're, we're very, very proud of that. And I, when I talked about the goal of the campaign, building that pipeline, some of us may not be here for the, the future campaign, but we're all committed to making this shop be the best it can be. I mean, we all came here when it was a small little fundraising program, de- small little development program, and we're proud of what we've built but we want it to be the best it can be. So Clemson can be the best it be. And when we do leave, we want to say we left him a good little shop. Well said. And I know that um, you're not doing this alone. You've got a strong team that you've built. You just mentioned the importance of leadership development. Tell me about some of the folks on, on your team who, uh, you know, have been with you or, or, or have recently joined who are some of the key uh, lieutenants, if you will. Yeah, um, my two associate uh, vice presidents, Giovanna King's been here 30 plus years. Uh, boy, she really knows the art of, um, of fundraising. So she has those long-term relationships. And as you follow her career, you realize this is development. It's not fundraising. 
then I'm missing. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? Fundraising to me, I think political fundraising, you know, give me my money, give me my money, give me my money. Development, you, you build a relationship with somebody and you're part of that journey in that relationship to Clemson. So it's from when Brian O'Rourke made his first annual gift, said, I'm going to be a high-end annual donor at 1000 to moving me to create my family, family endowment to say, I want to make that ultimate gift. To be part of that journey is pretty special. So, um, so, so Javon has been there. Then Missy Ryan, my other AVP, uh, Missy Ryan Penland, very well connected in the industry. Uh, again, she leads all the fundraisers in the college and the units, has really brought structure to that program where we're seeing efficiency and effective there. Tremendous fundraiser, but she's a great executor for me there as well. Uh, and then also my leadership team is someone from our athletic fundraising sits on my team. And uh, so we're in constant communications. Then this, uh, my executive director of the Alumni Association is critical. So if I look at my senior table, they've all been, all but one's been there for uh, uh, over eight and a half years. Very impressive. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, you've mentioned a couple of, of mentors uh, along the way. I am curious uh, when you think about peers, other leaders in the sector who you've built relationships with, it can be a pretty pretty tight-knit community. I mean, who are some of the folks out there that um, that are on your short list when, uh, when you have a question or want to brainstorm something? Oh, I'm good friends with the ACC. Um, if you look at the uh, organization EAB, uh, they've yeah. got great data, so a lot of good uh, connections there. You can pick up a phone, my friend at Florida State. You know, those who have built programs and hit roadblocks. So I think, and especially I'll say through AB, we've really learned to share a lot and be open. Um, then I mentioned June Bradham, you know, starting a consulting firm was real, a, a, a true uh, mentor. My alumni director, when I first got into this business, Debbie DeBose, she was just, um, she was just a fabulous. So, uh, and then I'll say right now, our current president of the university, he's a true leader who ex expects a lot from you, but he also is right there with you getting it done. And so, you know, you can set high expectations, but as a leader, you better go with the group and be with them to get it done. Brian, tell me a little bit about, you know, you just concluded a billion dollar campaign. I know you're, you're really proud of that. Uh, but at the same time, you, you get a, a day to celebrate and then you're on to the next uh, planning process, which you mentioned. Um, when you think about where the team is today and potential growth opportunities, do you expect, are you hiring right now? Do you expect to be hiring in the next year or two? Um, you mentioned about making the case for investment and uh, having the data at your disposal to do that. Where, where do you stand on, on the team building front right now? Great question. Um, right now, our division, we're about 125 people total. Um, we know to build a program to routinely be two, 200 to 250 uh, million a year compared to our peers, we need to grow that. Um, so we're putting a plan together for the university. Um, so we do have growth coming. Um, but going back to Will to Lead, when I came here 16 years ago, we had nine major gift offices. We could put this whole team in one conference room. Um, and so now we're about 28 development offices with critical professional support team with us, whether that's research, proposal writers, uh, donor stewardship, admins. I think all that is as critical as a good DO. Um, so, so we've grown. We can't fit into a conference room anymore. But uh, no, we're, we're showing the university that um, if we want to get here, if last campaign was a billion, 
first university in the country, public university with less than 150,000 alumni to reach a billion dollar campaign. If you now want to do a minimum of 1.5 in less time, there's got to be an investment. And so the pandemic hurt us. We, you know, we lost a year and a half of investment, but if we want to get there, you better invest in more, not only more feet in the ground, but we need people to support those uh, development offices. So growth is critical. And so hopefully by uh, mid-December, we'll be posting some jobs and those who want to come work with a pretty good shop um, with a good track record of people that come and stay, um, you know, start looking at our websites and uh, see if, what opportunities we'll have coming around. But yeah, if we want to go where the university wants to go, investments are critical. Love it. Uh, when you think about the best development officers you've worked with, you mentioned Giovanna, you've worked with others. Um, what are the characteristics that come to mind when, when you think of those individuals? Mm -hmm. I'll give you my philosophy first. I think we need to, we had a good board member who shared this with me one time. You got to be near, dear, and clear with yeah, every with your donors. Um, so you need to be you need to be uh, near them. You say, you got to stay in touch with them. You got to be part of them. Number two, you got to be clear. If you're not clear on if I'm going to set up an endowment, how does it work, et cetera. So those are three components. So I think a very good development officer, um, you got to be pretty structured. Um, so you got to be able to be sincere with your donors. You got to listen. And when you leave a meeting, know what your next steps are going to be. And then the a key thing is I'm going to follow up on those next steps. I mean, it's pretty basic, but you've got to follow up. So I think is you got to near, dear, and clear, very important. But beyond that is you got to listen. Then you've got to hear what your next steps are and then move forward. And you've got to drive this. You can't let, don't let the donor because the donor's got a bunch of other things happening in their lives. So what are you doing to that follow? And then once a gift is made, it's your job to make sure the gift is having an impact. Mm. Well, I think those are the best traits uh, of a good development officer. We talk a lot about the importance of polite persistence. And I think sometimes, uh, development officers, you know, or, or in the sales world, we can feel like we're, we're hounding somebody or we're bothering somebody. Uh, but like you just said, people are busy. And if they really aren't interested, they can tell you, you can give them an opportunity to, to, to tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, but if they're, you know, not responsive, it doesn't mean they're not interested. Uh, but it's, it's your job to stay near, dear, clear, and, and politely persistent, which um, sometimes I think uh, can be uncomfortable, but it's critical. Yeah, I remember my first fundraising conferences, you know, one, why don't they give? They're not asked. And two, no doesn't mean no, it means not now. And so uh, how do you respect that relationship of where they are and uh, keep it in front of them? So you're right, persistence. Last question, Brian, you've been doing this for a long time, but you did reference in our interview uh, in advance that you get inspiration from the students. And I can see a scenario where doing what you do on the road like you are uh, on the go, you know, working with the donor community, it would be easy to get disconnected from the Brian O'Rourke, you know, from those hundred kids from Massachusetts that are there right now, from the current mm -hmm. beneficiaries of IPTE uh, scholarships. Uh, how do you do that, uh, given how busy you are? And then how do you make sure your team, that it's not just about the visits and the revenue and the big numbers with lots of zeros, but the humans that are being impacted positively uh, you know, how do you keep your team connected with that student impact story? Uh, and then also your donors. On, on the broad base, we never have a meeting, a team meeting, 
or a, a volunteer meeting, a foundation board, whatever, we always talk about impacts and have a student share, student or faculty member share their story. So we're always in touch with us. And I think for the, the development odds that work in the college and the units, they're touching it every day. As you move up, you know, you have less time uh, to do that. Personally, what I do is I try to put on my calendar three times a month to go and grab lunch where, uh, with a student that I may have met at a luncheon that said, wow, you're amazing. I want to have lunch with you. Or they are from Massachusetts or a friend of a friend says, will you look out for somebody? So I try to do it three times a month. And now that COVID's over, I'm back picking that up and uh, doing again. And I leave there saying, that's why we do what we do. Um, wow. And then my wife and I, what people did for me when I came south, it's like, you need some places to on a Sunday afternoon to watch a movie and do laundry in a real washing machine instead of a laundromat, come to the house. So Amy and I, you know, same philosophy. If you just want to get away for a night or a weekend, we got plenty of room. You can downstairs, you can watch TV down there. We'll do your laundry. So uh, show that Clemson DNA of the Clemson family. So that along with uh, forcing myself to make sure I'm connecting students is what gives me my energy. Really well said, Brian. And I think everybody listening, I mean, that is something, you know, talk about copying and stealing everything. That is something that everybody uh, could do, uh, whether it's three times a month, once a month. Uh, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure when you do that, it also allows you to more authentically share those experiences with the donors that you're meeting um, as well, or selectively to bring those students in uh, when appropriate. So I think that that is just, uh, nobody's shared that with me before. I think that's an awesome tactic that anybody could start doing next week. Yeah. Like I took time last week to tour. We're building a chapel. We're finally getting a chapel on our campus. And so last Wednesday I said, I'm going to take 40 minutes and walk through that chapel. And it just, that whole program is possible because of private support. And I was walking, what a, what impact is this going to have for our students for generations to come? And so I did that on a Wednesday. Next thing you know, at Thursday, you know, I'm standing in front of a group of uh, volunteers with the Alumni Association, our board of trustees. And I said, why do we do what we do? I just walked through that building. And the people that made that happen, every, kid, every student at Clemson for generations to come are going to sit back and benefit from that. And again, that's why we do. We want to give them a better experience than what we had when we went there. I love it, Brian. Uh, such good energy, great examples. This time has flown by. I can't thank you enough for sharing a window into your world with our audience. And I would encourage folks to uh, to reach out to Brian if if uh, you know if if you want to get connected formally or informally. Um, and just thank you so much, Brian. I wish you the absolute best, and look forward to continue to stay in touch. Oh, same here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah, O'Rourke at Clemson.edu and love to uh, connect uh, uh, connect with anybody. If myself or better yet, members of my team can help you be successful, uh, we're always willing to do that and be partners with anybody uh, to continue to keep making a difference at their institutions. Great parting thoughts, Brian. And so with that uh, group out there, we're going to conclude just a couple of New Englanders here on the Race Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.